0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BDW group. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is America's Trunkin' Network with Kevin Gordon.
2: Welcome aboard. Thanks for tuning in. Certainly appreciate it. I keep saying this. We got a lot of news to get to, but we do. Again, because I do my homework. And try to get as much information to you as far as economic data, stuff going on in the trucking industry, and uh, some lighthearted stuff, if if and when we can find it. But uh, in these economic times and what we're experiencing now, there ain't a whole hell of a lot to laugh about, but uh, I do my best. We do have a very interesting today in history. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, it's uh, it's a long one, but uh, it's it's very important, especially to the transportation industry. So let's look at some of the headlines that we got for you today. Uh, study finds that truckers who did these four things increase the likelihood of future crashes by one hundred percent or more. A uh, White House announces uh, sixty billion for roads and bridges. PepsiCo lifts its outlook, and so. You know, around this time we start getting, cause, you know, we, we did end the third quarter, which is September. And, and usually at the end of the third quarter, you start seeing some of the earnings data from the various companies. And of course that affects the stock market. And then that jumps up or jumps down, depend on uh, which company is reporting and what earnings are reporting. And you may not know this, but I'll just tell you, but but every quarter there are certain companies that they know that is the first to report. And then this, uh, a you know, company A reports by such and such a date. They're usually the first. And then immediately after that, like the next day, uh, company B, C, or D and then so every quarter, you know when these companies are going to give their earnings data for the previous quarter. And so we're in that trend now where we're going to be getting economic data. And, of course, that's going to raise or lower the stock market accordingly. But we've got some good information as far as PepsiCo is concerned. And, of course, that gives us an indication. See, there I went. I, I interrupted myself like my wife always tells me. She said, you know, quit interrupting yourself. But I just interrupted myself because – um, In terms of a certain companies, uh, you know, when they come, you know, as I've been saying, certain parts of the economy are going to be doing well during a recession. And certain comp, uh, parts of the economy are not going to do well. And so depending upon which of these companies are reporting their earnings, that's going to up and down. Or it's going to drive the uh, stock market up or down, depending upon those. And, of course, in this, this is a, a good outlook. Uh, let's see. Uh, we got another merger and acquisition. And we do have an update on that uh, Merced County out in California, that family that was murdered. Uh, the person that was uh, responsible for that has been indicted. They uh, they did catch him, we, we reported that. He tried to commit suicide, but uh, we've got updates on that and so on and so forth. So let's dig into it. Uh, this is from the American Transportation Research Institute. Uh, prominent trucking research company shared results of a study on factors that influence the likelihood that a semi-truck driver will crash. Now, according to this report, uh, research has said that drivers who committed any of the following violations or behaviors have increased their future future ca- uh, crash likelihood by over 100%. Now, one hundred percent. Now, number one is failure to yield right of way violation that leads to about a one hundred and forty-one percent chance of a future future crash. Failure to use improper failure to use or improper signal uh, conviction uh, leads to a chance of one hundred and sixteen percent. A prior crash and adds to your likelihood of having a crash and then reckless driving violation if you've been pulled over if a driver's been pulled over for reckless driving then that would generally lead to a a more of an, a percentage of having an accident now i'm surprised honestly that a reckless driving violation, if that's indicative that somebody and you see it out on the highway i mean whether you're a four wheeler or where you're a eighteen wheeler or anything in between anything that's on the highway, you notice reckless driving all the time i there is there is no doubt about it and since the pandemic when people get back on the highway, I have seen more craziness out there than I have ever seen in my life before i it is just absolutely nuts i've got a It takes me about 25 minutes to get to the studio from where I live. And there's, you know, it's not 25 miles from where I live, but it's, you got to go a couple, you know, down a street and then down another street, which is only about 35 miles an hour. So it probably takes me about five minutes to get to the freeway. Uh, But once I'm on the freeway, shoot, I'm here in no time at all. But it takes me 25 minutes. So I'm on the freeway, maybe about 15, 20 minutes tops. And yesterday, coming back from the studio in a, what is it, from here to the the river is what, about 12 miles, I think. In that 12-mile radius, or that 12-mile distance, three cars in a 55-mile-an-hour uh, speed limit traffic zone. Now, again, you know, people push that 55 up to 60, maybe 65. Um, but it was in rush-hour traffic. And this guy, the three cars... We're going 80 miles an hour and weaving in and out. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's like I'm, I'm cringing every time they did this. I'm thinking, That's gonna, he's going to clip somebody. That guy's going to clip somebody. Three times in a 12-mile 12, 12 uh, thing. And then when I got on my area to go into Kentucky, which is only about a five-mile drive, one more car did the same damn thing. I, I just... It's like, what in the hell has gotten into people? But anyway, uh, but you know, reckless driving only adds a hundred. Well, it adds, but it's a hundred and four percent likelihood of having a future club crash. But failure to yield is a hundred and forty one percent chance. Now, I guess. That, you know, if you're not yielding to somebody or you're, you know, you're pulling on the highway and you've got the yield sign on your end and you're just, you know, barreling down the highway. And, of course, you know, you see this with all cars where they just say, well, the hell with it. They're going to have to get out of my way when I get on the freeway. Or if you fail to yield somebody coming on the freeway or something along those lines. But so just be aware of that. And, again, you know, take your time to, uh, you know, I know you're under time constraints and you want to get to where you're going but you know it's better to get there safe than not get there at all or get there three hours late because of a traffic ticket or because of uh, uh, some other problems and uh, i've got this whole list here from their report it's kind of a summary of the report i'll post this on facebook tonight uh failure to yield past crash reckless driving failure to obey traffic sign Conviction, failure to keep in proper lane, conviction, an improper or erratic lane changes, conviction, a reckless, careless, inattentive, negligent driving conviction. All these things are, are are listed here in terms of what could possibly lead to a future crash. And so, like I said, I will put that on Facebook tonight. But uh, you know, I, like I said, I, I'm seeing people, and and at first I thought, you know, maybe it's because that during the pandemic when, you know, the just it was just the essential workers out there. They are so used to commuting uh, when you're driving maybe 35, 45 miles an hour on a freeway during rush hour traffic. And when they got out on the highway with everybody else being off work or not working at all or working from home, a lot less traffic. So when you can normally go when the speed limit is 65 miles an hour, well, then you go that 65 miles an hour. Uh, And people may have gotten used to that and haven't adjusted back to the fact that, hey, you were able to go 65 miles an hour when nobody was on the road, but you sure as hell can't do that now when there's twice, three times, four times as much traffic on the road. And it's crazy. And I think people are driving more aggressive. I don't know if it's a result of pent-up anger and they're trying to take it out. I don't know what it is, but there is a lot more aggressive driving out there than I have ever seen in my life. Coming up, we got a uh, $60 billion for roads, and, of course, we got oil and gas prices. I'm Kevin Gordon, America's Trucking and Network. 700
1: WLW. This is the Racing Report on America's Trucking Network.
0: 700
1: WLW. Looking ahead to the racing weekend, the round of eight in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs begins Sunday with the running of the South Point 400 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Danny Hamlin is the defending champion. The Xfinity Series playoffs are also in the round of eight in Las Vegas with the running Saturday of the uniforms 302. The NASCAR Truck Series resumes its playoff chase October 22nd at Homestead Miami Speedway. Formula One races next at the Circuit of the Americas in the United States Grand Prix at Austin, Texas, on October 23rd. The NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series kicks off the second half of the countdown to the championship playoffs this weekend with the Fall Nationals in Texas. This is
0: the Racing Report on America's Crackin' Network on 700 WLW.
2: Seg Denison, ATN. Since 1973, OOIDA has been along for the
0: drive. It started when a small group of us drove to Washington to speak up for our...
2: This is America's Trucking Network, 700 WLW. I'm Kevin Gordon. Yeah, head out on the highway. Tell me about it. I mean, I love driving. I love getting out on the highway. There's um, Nothing more pleases me to get out and just drive around, and I love driving when we're on vacation, uh, that type of thing. But I'll tell you what, it's, it's kind of getting to be more of a chore now and more of a... Like you're taking a life in your hands every time you get on the highway. Not because, uh, well, because of the crazy drivers out there. But anyway. So, good bumper music, by the way, Alex. I certainly appreciate that. Uh, Let's take a look at uh, oil and gas prices. West Texas Intermediate Crude is currently at $89 a barrel. That is up $1.73 from yesterday, or a 1.98% increase. Brent Crude is at $94.46, which is up 2 dollars and a penny from yesterday, or a 2.17 percent increase. Now, looking at that reason, oil prices rise on lower low diesel stocks ahead of winter. Now, <laughs> this is one of those things where you know, it always you know when you have certain um, benchmarks or you have certain financial information that is supposed to indicate certain things. But when the market decides to go contrary to that, you almost got to wonder, is it just people just getting together and say, oh, let's just drive up the price just for the hell of it and make a little bit of money? I got to wonder because it says oil prices traded about 2% higher on Thursday. Of course, now after they had fallen three days in a row, reversing course as lower levels of diesel inventory ahead of winter helped investors shrug off higher than expected stocks of crude oil and gasoline. So normally, high stocks of crude oil and gasoline would mean that you have a lot of supply that meets the demand, so that shouldn't drive up the prices because there's not short supply. But instead, they look at something else in the market and the fact that diesel stocks are down and going into the winter, which is possibly obviously a problem because you need diesel fuel, uh, heating oil, and that type of thing. But uh, again, it they again, what they said in the article, shrugging off the other good news. distillate stockpiles, which include diesel and heating oil, fell by four point nine million barrels in the week ending as uh, October the seventh to one hundred and six point one million barrels. The lowest since May. Which isn't, which is important because usually in May is when those stock, those stockpiles of, of diesel, uh, heating oil come down because you're out of winter and by may nobody's heating their home anymore or at least not in the lower 48 or most of the lower 48 you know, there's some stragglers up maybe in the uh, wisconsin area or the northernmost part of the 48 but for the most part the the demand for the heating oil is down so these are the lowest levels now since may and during this period of time is when they should be building up that helped investors look past a surprise two million build, two million barrel build in gasoline stocks, and a larger than expected ten million barrel raise in crude oil inventories. Again, that's good news that should have either kept or maybe lowered uh, oil prices just a tad bit report comes in concerns about uh, inflation of course now one of the things that Phil Flynn who is analyst at Price Futures Group in Chicago mentioned said the most disturbing part of the EIA report is that distilling inventory so far below average and winter is coming. Well, of course, but it's not like you don't have time to build those stocks up. It's not like, you know, tomorrow is, you know, because, you know, at least in the, my area of the country, yeah, October is Pleasant. You don't have to use the heat or the air conditioning much on into pretty much November, even sometimes around Thanksgiving before you really have to crank up the heat. So uh, there is still some time there, and it's almost like they're hitting the panic button uh, way ahead of schedule. U.S. consumer prices increased more than expected last month, underlying the inflation pressures continuing to build. And, of course, reinforcing expectations, the Federal Reserve will deliver a fourth 75 basis point interest rate hike next month cpi rose 0.4 percent last month after gaining 0.1 percent in august the labor department said on thursday um, on thursday economists polled by reuters had forecast the cpi climbing 0.2 percent so their estimates they blew it now you remember back in uh what was it uh, september um they had this big celebration on the white house lawn that, uh, you know, they defeated inflation. I think the numbers from, uh, the numbers from what was it? June to July or I'm sorry, July to August, it, uh, inflation hadn't gone up in that month. But when you compare it to the previous year, it had gone up and they were saying, Oh, you know, there's no inflation this month. Well, you know, The prices had risen so far the previous month. And so all this happy talk, and they had that, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act, and then they had that party on the lawn back in September. The day that the Consumer Price Index came out that month, which showed that the Consumer Price Index had gone up yet again. And so they're talking about all this inflation reduction when they haven't done a damn thing about it. Inflation is still out of control. Uh, CPI, inflation data, hot. And then, of course, okay, September's CPI inflation rate came in at 8.2%. Of course, down one-tenth of a percent from August, 8.3. And June's 40-year high of 9.1%. Consumer price index rose four-tenths of percent versus August. Economists expected that a 0.2% monthly gain and the headline inflation drifting. So, the but the... Digging into the numbers as I do, the core CPI inflation rate climbed 6.6 percent, picking up from August 6.3. Now, again, the core prices when they took when they look at consumer price index, it's all the products, everything that we buy from you know I don't care whether it's shoes to uh, food, whatever, cars, appliances, everything taken into consideration. Now, what they usually do is they pull out food, they pull out energy, and they pull out uh, uh, a certain other seasonal things because those are all volatile. And then they say, okay, our our core basket of goods costs X and such. And the the criticism of that method for years has been that when you're talking about um, pulling out and determining what, inflation rate is, pulling out something like energy that everybody uses, gas, oil, uh, heating oil, so on, and food, which everybody uses on an ongoing basis, gives you a, 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 a tainted view of exactly how high inflation is. What they should do normally, in my opinion, is they should um, look at the core numbers but then also add in the real numbers to give you that real number. But again, what this is indicating is that this is the high. This is a forty-year high. Let me just cut to the chase here. This is a forty-year high for this um, market. So let's take a quick look at uh, gas price before we get out of here on this uh, section. Uh, gas prices national average is three dollars and ninety-one cents. That's uh, down a penny from yesterday, but it's $0.62 cents higher than it was a year ago, 19% uh, if you're calculating it that way. Then from two years ago, it is up a $1.65 from what we were paying just two years ago. That's a 75% increase. On the diesel side, diesel is at $5.19 a gallon. That is up $1.69 just since last year, a 48% increase, and $2.79 higher than what we were paying just two years ago. That is a 116% increase. And I might add, once again, that for the first time in 2020, during the Trump administration, we were energy independent for the first time since 1949. And we need to get back to that energy independence and stop this nonsense with our oil and gas prices. I'm Kevin Gordon, America's Trucking Network, 700 WLW. News, traffic, and weather. News
0: Radio 700 WLW. Cincinnati.
3: Gunshots and terror along a trail in Raleigh, North Carolina. With the 1230 Report, I'm Sean McCormick. Breaking now. Gunshots in Raleigh, North Carolina, leaving at least five people dead. ABC's Andy Field has the details. A series of shootings happening on a
1: nature trail in East Raleigh, North Carolina, with a gunman killing at least five people, sending two others, including a canine officer, to the hospital.
2: We must stop.
0: This mindless violence in America,
1: we must address gun violence. Raleigh, North Carolina, Mayor Mary Ann Baldwin. Police have arrested the suspect. Andy Field, ABC News.
3: Now the latest weather from the forecasters at 9 News. Overnight, partly cloudy skies, a low of 39. Friday, mostly sunny, a high of 66. Friday night, a few clouds. It's going to be an overnight low of 47. And Saturday, partly cloudy, a high of 61. The radar is currently clear. It is 50 degrees. The Chicago Bears in their color rush, aka Pumpkin Spice uniforms Thursday night, losing to Washington by a score of twelve to seven. The Cleveland Indians and New York Yankees will square off in game two of the ALDS this afternoon. First pitch just after one o'clock. Game two was postponed due to rain last night. Meanwhile, Houston and Seattle did play Game Two, the Astros winning four to two. Houston is now up two games to none over the Mariners. Our next update is what one-
1: Here's your trucking forecast for the tri-state and the rest of the country. In the tri-state overnight, a mostly cloudy sky. The low dropping to 39. Sunshine for your Friday, a high of 67. Mostly sunny Saturday and a high of 65. Nationally, over the next few days, a series of cold fronts expected to move southeast across the central and eastern U.S. Precipitation will be focused ahead of and along each front while waves of cooler, drier air move in behind each front. The first cold front already crossing the central U.S. and is continuing across the eastern U.S., This front expected to push offshore into the Atlantic Friday, but linger over Maine through Saturday. Widespread showers and storms expected ahead of and along the front in the northeast. Heavy rainfall may result in isolated to scattered areas of flash flooding with a slight risk of excessive rainfall for portions of the northeast through Friday. A second cold front moving south across the northern and central plains in Upper Midwest Friday and producing light snow over the upper Mississippi Valley and Upper Great Lakes region. The frontal boundary expected to move southeast and extend from the mid-Atlantic region to the southwest this weekend. Meanwhile, an upper-level low will be gradually moving eastwards across the southwest this weekend, which will lead to showers and thunderstorms developing. Surface and upper-level support for precipitation in the southwest this weekend could result in heavy rainfall and potential flash flooding. A slight risk of excessive rainfall in effect for portions of Arizona and Southern California Saturday with a marginal risk of excessive rainfall for much of the rest of Southern California, Arizona and New Mexico. A slight risk of excessive rain also expected Sunday across portions of Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. Flash floods will be especially dangerous near steep terrain, slot canyons, and burn scars. A third cold front expected to move south across the northern plains this weekend. All three fronts will support continued windy and dry conditions across the central U.S. Strong wind gusts, low relative humidity, and dry vegetation will combine to produce dangerous fire weather conditions. Portions of the northern and central plains and mid-Mississippi Valley through Friday are under critical fire weather conditions. Red flag warnings are in effect for much of the Plains and mid-Mississippi Valley, where rapid wildfire spread will be possible.
2: This is America's Trucking Network, 700 WLW. I'm Kevin Gordon. And the reason you get to rock on down the highway The way you do is because of today in history, this particular person we have. On this date, October the 14th, 1890, President Dwight D. Eisenhower served as the 34th U.S. president between 1953 and 1961, was born in Denison, Texas. One of the defining moments of his presidency was when he signed into law the landmark Federal Aid Highway Act of 1956, that was actually referred to, or the title of that bill was the National Interstate and Defense Highways Act of 1956. The provisions of the Title I of this uh, law included expanding the number of miles for the interstate system from 40,000 as set forth in the 1944 Federal Highway Act Act. Uh, Title I also authorized $25 billion during the period between 1957 and 1969 as the federal share 90% for building the interstate highways. In other words, the highway system was built by 90% of federal dollars with another 10% kicked in by the states, counties, etc., so the importance of this highway system was so important that the federal government said, we're going to contribute 90% of those funds for that. Now, Title I also, also also authorized, blah, 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 blah. The, okay, uh, let's see. For the building interstate highway, Title II of the new law established the highway trust fund as a dedicated source for funding the interstate system and stipulated the new highway network operate on a Pay as you go basis. The creation of a program for financing and building the interstate system had been a top priority from Eisenhower, and he staunchly pushed for congressional legislation establishing that. Well, let's go back here a second. This pay as you go system is not uh, to be interpreted as tolls, it is set to be as you, and I think it's later on in the article or maybe in another article that I read. But because of the excise taxes, the gasoline taxes, the taxes on tires, the taxes that you pay on uh, your rigs, and uh, everything supposed to go into the highway trust fund, and that is supposed to then build up so that then you use that money to do the repairs and maintenance on the highway system. So a pay-as-you-go system. But what has happened with that highway trust fund, it has been raided over the time. You know, in the initial stages, once the, once the um, uh, highway system was built up, of course, you don't have a lot of repairs and maintenance. So rather than leaving that money in the trust fund um, for the next 10 years or so, they put in these IOUs and started using that money for other things in the Treasury so that they didn't have this. So it looks like they were being fiscally responsible and not raising taxes. But they were rating these funds just like they rated Social Security and put the uh, IOU in there. And then when the payment comes due, it's like, oh, well, we've got to raise taxes for this. or We got to do this. So anyway, that's my two cents worth it. And by the way, as I mentioned before, 30% of the Federal Highway Trust Fund doesn't go to highways. It actually goes to uh, Amtrak in the Northeast. We subsidize that with our gas tax money, and we are subsidizing footpaths. Hike, hiking trails, and biking trails. And again, let me say, I don't oppose those things, but if we're supposed to be t- doing a pay-as-you-go system with our highway gas taxes to for the roads, then somebody hiking and biking, et cetera, they should be paying a little bit in terms of their fees, in terms of tolling on these, or maybe a tax on the, all the gear that they, that they have. I mean, you know, from the bicycles to the tires to the pumps to the uh, riding gear, the gloves, the helmets, all that sort of stuff, could have a small little tax on that that would then fund all these different hiking trails and biking trails. You know, walking shoes, water bottles, all that sort of stuff. So anyway, let's get back to the story here. The origins of Eisenhower's steadfast support for improved roads can be traced back to his childhood in Kansas, where the family settled after leaving Texas in 1892. So far as I can recall, Eisenhower told members of the National Rural Letter Carrier Association in 1959, I never saw a paved road in my youth. He also shared his memories of a rural letter carrier making mail delivery rounds on a gumbo road in that part of the state. Eisenhower recounted he came along with a one-horse wagon, always with the top up because the weather was bad. In rainy weather, he was down to his axles in the mud. An experience that left an even stronger impression on Eisenhower with respect to the need for good roads took place in 1919 as a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army at the time. Eisenhower participated in that military branch's transcontinental motor transport convoy from Washington, D.C. to California. During that coast-to-coast expedition, he and fellow soldiers had to deal with plenty of ruts, dust, and mud on that route. Now, we chronicled that during this show because the different anniversaries of that. You may recall that that uh, convoy started on July the 7th in Washington, D.C., and 62 days later, on September the 6th in 1919, they actually made it from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco. 62 days. (laughs) Today, that travel, that that mileage to get there is about 48 and a half hours, a little more than two days to get there. And because of the poor road conditions during that time, and he experienced that, that led to him thinking in terms of a national highway system. Eisenhower's idea about roads were further developed when, as Supreme Commander of the Allied Expeditionary Forces during World War II, he had the opportunity to travel on on and appraise Germany's state-of-the-art highways, collectively known as the Autobahn. The old convoy in 1919 had started me thinking about good two-lane highways, Eisenhower later wrote, but Germany had me see the wisdom of a broader ribbons across the land." Along with playing a pivotal leadership role in the creation of the interstate system, Eisenhower also achieved other notable transportation-oriented milestones during his years as president. In 1954, he signed into law the Wiley-Dondero Seaway Act authorizing the United States to work with Canada in constructing the St. Lawrence Seaway to connect the Atlantic Ocean with the Great Lakes. Five years later, Eisenhower joined Queen Elizabeth II of England in officially inaugurating that bi-national highway.
0: With Lucky Land slots, you can get
2: lucky just about anywhere. Eisenhower also made transportation history in 1957 when he became the first president to ride in a nuclear submarine. This occurred when he was aboard the USS Seawolf as she traveled off the coast of Rhode Island. In that same year, Eisenhower became the first president to fly in a helicopter while in office. This first-of-the-kind flight took place after he boarded a Bell UH UH-13J helicopter on the south lawn of the White House. The aircraft, which was piloted by US Air Force Major Joseph E. Barrett, transported Eisenhower from there to the Maryland based presidential retreat at Camp David, which by the way was named after his grandson. So Interesting there, too. In the time since his death in 1969, at the age of 78, Eisenhower has been honored in several large scale and noteworthy ways in the accomplishments. In 1990, for example, the interstate highway system was formally renamed the Dwight D. Eisenhower System of Interstate and Defense Highways. Defense Highways. That the day after that uh, centennial of his birth, on September seventeenth, 2020, the Dwight D. Eisenhower Memorial, located just off the National Mall in Washington, D.C., was officially dedicated. One man has created uh, uh, his vision, saw forth to create this interstate highway system that we all use on a continuing basis and is some of the reason why um, as much goods as uh come across and we have you know fresh fruit in the middle of the of the country when we can get fresh fruit from Florida and California when we can get uh, uh crab legs from uh the coast into the middle uh without having taking days and weeks and months uh to get that done uh because of people with vision like Dwight Eisenhower we have that interstate highway system today and on this date October the 14th 1890 was his birthday uh coming up We'll get into some of the transportation uh, funding bills that we're talking about. I'm Kevin Gordon, America's Trucking Network, 700 WLW. At Progressive Commercial Week.
3: This is America's Trucking Network,
2: 700 WLW. I'm Kevin Gordon. This is normally a happy song, but it's a sad song for me. Working for the weekend. That means working to the weekend or whatever name of the song. That means that I'm going to be off the air for the next few days. I don't like that. I like being on the air. I like being here. I like spending time with you and I like bringing the news to you. So uh, where most people are are celebrating the weekend, I'm kind of, uh, well, looking forward to the weekend, but not really. Anyway. Let's uh, look at some of the other stories we got for you. The White House announces $60 billion for roads and bridges. Nearly $60 billion in new federal funds will be dedicated to repair surface transportation corridors nationwide, according to the Biden administration announced on October the 11th. Uh, funds from the Federal Highway Administration were approved by the $1 trillion Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Projects in every state, Washington, D.C., and Puerto Rico will be among the fund's recipients. Now, I don't understand why this is, I mean, it's a it's a news item. It was in, and it was prominent in in the stuff, the stack, um, in, in terms of the different uh, websites that I went to. But, yeah, I mean, all this is is the money was approved, and now the grants have to be written up, and the states have to apply for this money. And I, I guess what it is is that they're rolling out certain f- um, um, amounts per periodic, I guess, just to get their... Um, get some, I guess, press on it or something along those lines, but a lot. Of, I mean, these funds have been set aside now. Actually, allocating them, I guess, is is a different story. Uh, let's see. Um, available to every state. Uh, let's see here. America's roads and bridges are vital arteries on our transportation system, connecting people and goods across the country, according to Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. No kidding. They're Captain Obvious. Uh, Acting FW uh, Federal Highway Administration Administrator Stephanie Pollack added, these historic investments in America's infrastructure give states the flexibility they need to determine how to allocate the funds. Now, again, as we talked about originally and going back to November and then looking at some of the uh, amounts and, and some of the going back and forth between Congress and the Transportation Department, whether or not, you know, originally they put out this memo that said, hey, we're going to control this. This is how we are going to allocate the funds. And these are the projects we want them to invest in. And people from Congress said, oh, wait a minute. Whoa, slow down there. We, when we put this bill together, st- stated that we want the states themselves to determine what was the priorities and how they were going to spend this money. So apparently that they have beaten, you know, have gotten that message through to the Transportation Administration and the Federal Highway Administration. So uh, let's hope that these funds do go through to the individual states and they use them accordingly. And, of course, they've had to apply for this money. They've had to have whatever projects they want to use this money on and, and give that to the federal government or at least show them that as part of their request. So we'll be following that. PepsiCo lifts their outlook as uh, drinks snack sales buck inflation. Said their, uh, let's see, said its playbook for battling inflation is still working, with price hikes fueling double digit gains in sales despite lower volumes of snack purchases. That's not good news for us, the consumer. The company beat profit estimates for the third quarter and raised its forecast for the year. That's a positive sign for investors as the start of the earnings season, where anxieties are running high about the resilience of consumers worldwide. Even though it's paying more, even though it's paying more for commodities such as sugar, corn, and potatoes, the maker of Frito Lay's chips, Mountain Dew soft drinks, and Quaker Roots, Cereals reported earnings per share of $1.97 in three months, blah, blah, blah. So they go through all their detail and all this sort of stuff of, of what they've done and um, how it's grown. But I, I'm telling you, I mean, yeah, I know um, food prices are going up. In fact, my wife, uh, right before I, I, I left to come in to do the show, yeah, she had been to the store, and she said, my God, I said, she said, I was talking with a couple of people out front, and they're saying, my, you know, it just seems like in the last week, Prices have shot up considerably, and yeah, I know that prices have gone up. But if you're like me, one of the things I do is I pour over the various sales. I, I, I mean, where I live, we can get to uh, Kroger, we can get to Meyer, we can go to uh, a place called Jungle Gyms, which is over in the Eastgate area. Which you really have to, uh, which is probably uh, well, you don't know what, where the area is if you don't live here, but it's about a twenty-minute drive. Thereabouts. So you got to really load up, and there has to be a lot of bargains to go that far. But within a, a comfortable, maybe five, 10 minute radius from me, I've got Kroger. I got two Kroger stores. I've got a, a, comp, a company called Fresh Time. I've got a company called Remke, and I've got Meyer. So what I do is I look at those individual circulars at the beginning of the week and I say, okay, well, I'm going to be here on Tuesday so I can pick up this portion that we need because uh, this is on sale here or in the opposite direction. If I'm going to be in this part of the area, I can stop here and get that. Or my wife, if she's out doing stuff, we, we know where to go. And I mean, yeah, we're paying a lot more for items, but When stuff is on sale, it's pretty much back down to what the pre-inflation prices were. And if you buy, well, not appropriately, but if you kind of time your purchases, you can ease over those. Now, obviously, certain necessities, when you really need the product, you got to pay that higher amount. But again, when you go, uh, when you look at the individual prices, I mean, I can remember a time when milk, we used to get milk for um, uh, three gallons for five bucks and this was probably i was thinking probably about 10 years ago maybe and then prices started creeping up to where in my area that's now 359 but about every other week the store runs these ads or runs these sales to where a half gallon is for a dollar 29. So if you load up on that that's 250 a gallon versus 359 a gallon. So again, there's different ways of getting around this. Now, I'm not saying that prices aren't high, but what I'm saying is that it makes our job a little bit harder and maybe take a little bit of time cuz I treat it as a game. My wife says, "You're always treating stuff like a game." And I said, "Well, to a certain extent it is." I mean, you know, that's kind of how you go through life and kind of enjoy things. When you treat it as a game, you try to, you know, enjoy as much as you can out of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And, you know, if you can save a buck here, save a buck there, save five bucks here, all the better. It makes your dollars go further, and it helps you ease the pain with these inflationary times. Uh, we and let's get to a quick, yeah, let's get to a quick um uh, merger and acquisition here. Bison Transport has acquired Herman main-based truck loader uh, carrier Pulte. Pulte, yeah. No, Pottle. I'm sorry, Transportation. It was announced on uh, October the 12th. Transaction will be effective October 31st. Bison will acquire all the issued and outstanding shares of the trucking company through an affiliate. Uh, financial details will not be made. Uh, They're talking about uh, back and forth about how excited they are. Uh, Pottle is a second-generation business. It was founded over 60 years ago by Cliff Pottle and was then passed to his son, Barry Pottle, a former American Trucking Association's chairman who led the company as its president until the acquisition. Pottle's Pottle's boasts a fleet of over 200 tractors, 700 trailers, as well as logistics offerings. Bison currently has a fleet of over 2,600 tractors, and 9,000 trailers. So, uh, again, when you're having merger and acquisition activity at the height of the market, when companies are doing well, that's a very good sign for the trucking industry. Well, folks, that just about does it for us. By the way, I, I want to remind you that if you miss any part of the program, go to your iHeartRadio app, 700-WLW, scroll through the various shows, find America's Trucking Network, all the shows, everything right there at your fingertips. And, of course, the podcast is sponsored by Rush Truck Centers. And uh, stay tuned for Red Eye Radio at the top of the hour. That does it for us this week. And... Uh, I don't know. i got to go three days without talking to you. But anyway, Kevin Gordon, America's...
1: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and
3: we lost track of time. <gasps>